Father, thank you for your word, for its consistency, for its truth, for its story from beginning to end of your love for what and whom you've created and redeemed. We look forward to learning from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read today from Colossians, letter of Paul to the Church of Colossae, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. You'll find it in the bulletin. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Back in March, the New York Times published an article entitled, Human Contact is Now a Luxury Good. Uh, Since the personal computer boom of the 1980s, the the author wrote, access to to technology has been a sign of wealth and power. Early adopters bought tech gadgets to optimize their lives and to create online, online networks. But today, more and more, The wealthy stay away from online connections and and minimize uh, screens and gadgets at home. While the poor increasingly experience life mediated by glass screens for medical care, for work, for school, uh, the article says, uh, the rich have grown afraid of screens. They want their children to play with blocks, and tech-free private schools are booming. Humans are more expensive, and rich people are willing and able to pay for them. Conspicuous human interaction, living without a phone for a day, quitting social networks and not answering email, has become a status symbol. Now I know why I can't get some of you to answer my emails. (laughs) You're going after that status. Well, one of the reasons for this change in attitude is that even some of the creators of these technologies have begun to question their value. In 2017, uh, the former Facebook executive and venture capitalist, uh, capitalist uh, Chamath Palihapitiya, uh, said in an interview that he had deep misgivings about his part in helping to create Facebook uh, because of what he's seen it do to us and our relationships. He said, we curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, And we conflate those things with our value instead of what it really is, fake, brittle popularity that's short-term and that leaves you even more vacant and empty than before you did it. 
because it forces you into this vicious cycle about what's the next thing I need to do. You don't realize it, but you're being programmed. This brings us to the text that we've been studying these past several weeks, Colossians 3, and what it teaches us about the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life we've seen is to enter into the new world that God has unveiled in the resurrection of Jesus and to become the new people that he calls us to be uh, in that new creation. Uh, The habits and the practices, perhaps we could say the programming of the old world, still shape us in many ways, but we're learning the new habits and the new practices that fit our new identity in Christ. Paul calls it taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And we've seen also that this, pro- this process does not happen in isolation. We grow in community together. And last week, we looked at verses 12 to 14 of this passage where we saw that we're, we're called to look like Jesus, to, to clothe ourselves in his virtues and to love as he loves. And today, uh, we're going to look at how this happens in community in, in verses 15 to 17. The important point to see here is that community is essential, but not just any kind of community. There's something distinctive about Christian community, and we need to discover what it is. Paul says in in verse 15, "You, you must let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one in the one body. Here's the first thing to notice about character shaping Christian community. It's a community in which the the peace of Christ reigns supreme and unites one body together. The peace that we're talking about here is not some inward, private peace. It's not having a peaceful soul or a peaceful mood. The peace of Christ is the peace that he's won through his death and resurrection. It's not a subjective peace, but an objective peace into which he has called us as his body. In other words, it's not a peace that we have to achieve, but it's a peace that we first receive by faith. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer puts it like this. He says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. This is a very different kind of community, community than we normally experience in the world. It's not a, a, the kind of community created around some common interest, a, a gaming community or a fitness community. It's not the kind of community created around political action, a party or an advocacy group. There's nothing wrong with these kinds of community, but a Christian community transcends them. What binds together Christians is not our education, our race, our politics, our nationality, or our jobs. We come together only because we share in the peace of Christ, and then we love each other for his sake. This is why Paul immediately adds here, and be thankful, because this expresses the attitude of someone who relates to others in and through Jesus. When you see others as members of your community, by grace, 
you can be flexible and, and charitable and thankful for them, even when you disagree or, or when you've been hurt. You, you accept them as Christ has accepted you. Here's Bonhoeffer again. In the Christian community, thankfulness is just what it is anywhere else in the Christian life. Only he who gives thanks for little things receives the big things. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. It's only in gracious, loving community that we build the trust that opens us to the possibility of, of a deeper kind of change. I quoted uh, David Brooks's uh, new book last week, this, The Second Mountain. I noticed this week that Cam Anderson, I don't think he's here today, but Cam is leading a reading group of this book at, at Upper House. I encourage you to, to check that out. Uh, but let me share a story that Brooks tells about the power of community. It's about a project in Ontario called Roots of Empathy, which brings babies into schools uh, in order to foster connection with, with kids. Uh, Brooks writes, Once a month, a parent and an infant visit a classroom. They sit on a green blanket, and the class gathers around them to walk and talk about what the infant is doing. They observe the infant try to crawl to something or reach for a toy. Uh, they're learning to put themselves in the mind of a baby, learning emotional literacy and learning how deep attachment works. In one class, there was an eighth-grade boy named Darren who had witnessed his mother's murder when he was four and had been bounced around the foster care system ever since. He was bigger than everybody else in class since he was two grades behind. And, and one day, much to everyone's surprise, Darren asked to hold the baby. He looked scary, and, and the mother was nervous, but she let him. And Darren was great with the baby. He went over to a quiet corner and rocked the infant while the baby snuggled into his chest. Darren returned the baby to his mother, and then he asked innocently, if nobody has ever loved you, do you think you could still be a good father? Darren was trusted with something precious, and in response, he opened up to, new other, to others in, in new ways. Brooks writes about this. A bloom of empathy and connection. A moment when community begins to heal a wound and create a possibility. When Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, he's saying that this kind of community, the kind of thing that Darren experienced just for that moment, that this should be the norm in the church. When we experience unconditional love and grace here in this body, we, we begin to let down our guard. We let others love us, and, and then we love in return. So this is the first thing that we can say about a distinctive, character-shaping Christian community. But if, if this was the only thing that made Christian community distinctive, it could easily be superficial. Now, we love everyone, 
but we don't really know them, and we're, we're never challenged to, to really change. Uh, the, the kind of community that we see in, in, here in Colossians 3 is, is different. Yes, it's a community in which the peace of Christ reigns supreme, but it's also a community in which people speak the truth to one another, even when it's challenging. Paul says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the specific way in which uh, he says we are to do this is by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The same people who are called to bear with one another and to forgive and to be united in one body are called to teach and to admonish, instructing and challenging one another about what they believe and and how to live it out. The the word of Christ is meant to be a lived reality, and apparently, God wants to use us in our relationships together to bring his word uh, into our lives. Paul is not talking about preaching here. Uh, That has its place, but what's most in focus here is the connections that we foster in in other kinds of settings. It's about our conversations when we get together in our household groups or with a friend over coffee or, or when we talk around the dinner table with our children. And conversations like this, when we let the word of Christ dwell in us ritually, we work out the implications of the gospel for every area of life. We address the challenges and, and questions of our day. In other words, there, there's, no, there's no sense here in which we can expect to grow spiritually by ourselves. It doesn't say, teach and admonish yourself, but teach and admonish one another. This requires a commitment to a community in which we let others see who we really are, in which we learn to listen well, and we speak to each other with courage. This is hard, especially when we move uh, so often for work or school or our lives are consumed by the busyness that surrounds us. But it's not just about the practical challenge of, of getting groups like this together. It's about how relationships like these challenge us at a, at a deeper level. In their book, uh, Friendship at the Margins, Christopher Hertz and, and Christine Pohl write about this. They say, a willingness to put down roots in a particular place and with a particular group of people provides a setting where over time we are forced to depend on God's grace as we work through interpersonal issues and go deeper into the Christian life. Such stability is a challenge to our contemporary tendencies toward self-serving notions of pilgrimage or journey that allow us to pick up and leave when things get difficult. It's when things get difficult that God may be seeking to teach us the most if we'll hang in there. But it's a lot easier to just press unfriend. So we've seen two things about the kind of community that is meant to shape the lives of Christians. It must be deeply loving 
accepting of people as they are, full of unconditional grace, grateful for the small things. And at the same time, it must be very challenging, intimate, not afraid to say a hard word and open about problems. If you're in a community like this, you will feel loved, you will know that you belong, and you also will, at times, feel tremendous discomfort as your weakness or your defensiveness or your sin is exposed. But when you come to those moments of discomfort and someone looks you in the eye and says, you are known and you are loved here, it changes your heart. You begin to drop your defenses. You begin to receive feedback and uh, criticism in new ways. Christians seek to foster community like this because they know that in Christ, they are cosmically known and loved. God knows us better than we even know ourselves, and he loves us so perfectly that he was willing to suffer and to die for us. When you know a love like this, it propels you out towards others. Instead of vegging out by yourself watching Netflix, at least all of the time, you move towards others, and you're you're given a new power source for life. Whatever you do, Paul says, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Over and over again here, Paul points to gratitude and and thankfulness as the motivating power of the Christian life. The 16th century Heidelberg Catechism uh, captures this truth well in uh, question and answer number 86. Uh, If we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, the catechism asks, why should we bother to be good? Uh, The answer is, so that in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us and so that he may be praised through us. When you know that you're accepted in love, not on the, on, on the basis of grace, right, uh, you obey, not in order to earn anything, but to give thanks for the great gift that you have received. This thanksgiving is, is the great guide to the Christian life. Nowhere does the New Testament give us a, an exhaustive code of conduct for Christians. I mean, there are many moral issues that I believe the Bible speaks clearly on. Care for the weak, the poor, the immigrant, the unborn. But there are lots of specific topics about which the word of Christ is less clear. In these cases, we can still ask the question, can I give thanks to God for this? Can I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Will his reputation be advanced by my actions? And most of all, will others experience his love and his grace through me in this? Let me close today with a a story. I once heard about a town in Belgium uh, called Giel, uh, which has a a unique approach to the mentally ill in its community uh, that they've been doing for decades. Instead of being cooped up in a hospital, uh, the patients live with local host families long-term. And this has been so successful in the life of the patients that researchers have studied the town 
to try and discover what is so powerful about it. The hosts are, are strangers to their borders. Uh, they're told nothing of the patient's diagnosis. They aren't trained to perform any formal treatment. They don't try and fix anyone's problem. They just share life with them. And it's powerful. The average length of uh, stay of a patient with a family in Giel is 28 years. And, and a third of the boarders stay with the same family for 45 years. One researcher was trying to wrap her mind around what made this so successful when she had a breakthrough. It came when she was interviewing a host mom in Giel uh, whose boarder spent all day twisting the buttons off his shirt. Each night, the host mom, the host mom would sew them back on so that the boarder could do it again on the next day. And when the researcher suggests that perhaps she use fishing line as thread uh, so that the buttons can't be twisted off, uh, the host mother gets offended. No, no, you, you don't understand, she said. That would be the worst thing you can do. Accepting these odd behaviors means not trying to just make them go away. Now, here's the point. This may seem like a strange story to tell because the guy twisting the buttons off his shirt never changes. He keeps doing the same thing. But think about the host mom. What must have happened inside of her that she can accept him uh, with all his quirks and his oddities and keep showing him this kind of grace and acceptance? How must she have been changed by this relationship? So often we think that the people that God has put into our lives are there to be changed by us. But what if the difficult people in your life are there not so that they can be changed by you, at least, but so that you can be changed by them? What if the relationships in which you find yourself, even or, or especially the ones that just drive you crazy, what if these are the means by which God wants to change you to become more like Jesus. Friends, this is what we are called to be and to do for one another. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What Paul says here is profound. As we give thanks to God the Father through the Son, we enter the life of the triune God, that communion of, of eternal, perfect, self-giving love. In the person and in the work of Jesus, you're, you are invited to receive that love by faith and then to go and to share it with others in his name. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Gracious God, it is uh, with gratitude that we remember that you have established peace, peace with us at great cost to yourself on the cross. Uh, we praise you for the greatness of your love that we see displayed there, and we ask that your love might be in us so that more and more we would be shaped by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Help us to put to death whatever in us is of the old self. Renew us in the habits and the practices of our, our new life in Christ. We thank you for this community of your followers at Geneva Campus Church. Make us grateful for the small things, the evidence that you, God, are active in our midst. 
and fill us with a sense of expectation for the continuing work that you desire to do uh, in us and, and through us so that we might love as you love, serve as you serve, and give as you give on this campus and in this city. And for Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen.